Good morning, Cedar Creek. Thank you, all eight of you, I appreciate that so much. Excited to be here. Uh, if you have no idea who I am, my name is Rick. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at our Banks Mill uh, campus and I serve on our teaching team. So occasionally when our senior pastor is out or our campus pastor is out, I have the opportunity to come uh, and deliver the message and love when I get the opportunity to. If you have your Bible, uh, you can open it. John chapter 10 is where we're gonna hang out predominantly this morning. We'll do some jumping around late in the message, but you can hang out there if you wanna get there on your iPhone, iPod, Bible, however you wanna get there, we'll be there in just a little bit. But before we do that and before we kick off this brand new series, I do wanna update you. Uh, my name is Rick Lee. Uh, my father is Philip Lee, our senior pastor. Uh, and I know many of you have probably seen through social media, the church app, all that kind of stuff as we've pushed out. Um, my father had a colon resection surgery a week ago Friday um, and is in recovery. Uh, but we did receive news this weekend that all 16 of his lymph nodes are cancer free. Uh, yeah. So thank you so much. That's a tremendous answer to prayer. Uh, no need for further follow-up. He'll have follow-up appointment with oncology just to kind of see what they want to do in terms of monitoring and, and, and guarding against that stuff going forward. So praise God for that. I did tell him this week, uh, the, the other day when I was at his house doing some yard work, since he got that news and I was with him when he got that news, I felt that he should just come back and preach. I mean, you don't milk this thing out. I don't know, you can get back up here and do this. But he, he's got a pretty good cut on his stomach from where they did the surgery, and so we'll give him a little bit more time to recover. But he is at home uh, recovering and so grateful um, for the cards and emails and prayers and all of that stuff. Our entire family um, is unbelievably grateful for that. This week, though, uh, he has asked me to start to kick off this series here at our Banks Mill campus, Banks Mill campus called Warrior where for the next two weeks, Pastor Danny and I are gonna have the opportunity to unpack a little bit of what it looks like to be a man biblically. Now, I tell you that on the front end because I, I wanna do a couple of things. One, I wanna say, please don't stand up and walk out of here if you are not a man, okay? Like, if that's not you, please don't go, came on the wrong Sunday, I'm done, that's it for me. Uh, I firmly believe, I know, especially this morning, that God has an incredible word for all of us. Um, as we examine not only what it means to be a man, but what it means to be a human being found in God's creation. And so please stay here, stay connected. I'm, I'm praying and believing that God is going to speak to all of us. But I am excited for the next two weeks, men, for us to unpack this. I wish, and I don't know if anybody else has this experience, I wish the Holy Spirit would be nicer to me. Uh, but I know what the issue is. I like to be very busy, and I also like to be very stubborn, okay? So as I began to prepare, actually last week, knowing that this message was coming up, I didn't know where I wanted to go. I was like, man, God, what do you want me to say? It was another one of those kind of uncomfortable tensions that I was walking, I don't know what you have for me, what you want me to teach, what you want me to say. And I was, I was laying in bed one night and came, I think I was on either Facebook or Instagram, I can't remember, and, and a meme came up and, and the description above the picture said, every Southern man, when they turn 30, becomes obsessed with one of these. And then it had four pictures below it. One of them was a lawn that was like beautifully manicured, like cut, pristine, all that kind of stuff. The next one was a fancy pellet grill with a steak on it that looked delicious. The next one was a golf course. And the final one was a weight room. And I kind of dismissed it and let it go, but the Holy Spirit wouldn't let me go. And, and so as I as I began to unpack, I need you to understand that I began this message out of these convictions. I spend 
and my wife is down here, you can come and ask her if you want to. I spend an unacceptable amount of time taking care of my grass. And here's the other thing about it. I don't know why or how it happened to me, okay? I didn't, I hated, in fact, my mom is also down here in the front room and she would tell you that I would not cut the grass growing up in her household. And then I moved out and now all of a sudden, I'm like, I'm out there cutting it with scissors, okay? Like spending that amount of time out there looking at the grass, monitoring the grass, sending off soil samples of the grass. And then I realized the grill one probably applies to me too. Like I love grilling and I love experimenting. I love reading online, but here's the issue. I left that one in here strategically. My grill is not very good, okay? So I've kind of had to let that one go. The bottom of it's kind of busted out. But then I realized next week's Father's Day right? And now here's the thing, here's the thing, here's the thing. I'm somebody's father, okay? So I'm not telling you what to do, but if the Holy Spirit were to communicate with you, those, those Traeger grills that hook up with your smartphone that you can like turn on before you get home from work and like monitor the temperature of the meat while you're cooking them and automatic, if like if God was to say to you in whatever form, hey, you should really bless Rick with that, I'm I am a father and next week is Father's Day. Okay, so you do whatever you need. And so I, I realized that that one applies into me. But as I walk through those things, here's what, here's what the Holy Spirit really, and this is where the, I wish you would be nicer, is the Holy Spirit spoke, hey, Rick, if your grass looks like Augusta National, if your grass is absolutely immaculate, but you spend no time developing your own spiritual growth, have you not wasted your life? And then I went farther. If I, if, I, if I become a grill aficionado and I become a chef and people come from near and far to eat these things that I cook, but I never take part in feeding my family spiritually, have I not missed the mark? And we could, we could, go, we could go further. This is gonna be a shocker, but contain your excitement. I don't lift weights, okay? This is, this is natural, no steroids, no heavy lifting here. This is what I came out with. This is what I got, all right? I don't do that. But if we do that, your bench press max doesn't really much matter if we don't do a good job, men, of carrying the weight of leading our family. And what I began to realize is that all four of those little categories and all of the things that we often seem to find ourselves migrating to men and what are sold to us is what it means to be a man are really easy ways for us to disconnect from what the Bible actually spells out for our calling. Is that those things are easy, we can disconnect, we can do them, we can make them happen, but we don't have to have tough conversations, but we don't have to engage in relationships with emotions and feelings that make us uncomfortable. And so we just leave all of that stuff behind, but here's the problem, the Bible doesn't allow that. Is that you can do all of those things unbelievably well and still fail. I can do all of those things unbelievably well, except for I'm not gonna lift weights. I'm just gonna be honest with you. It's not fun and it hurts and I don't wanna do it, okay? But we can do all of those things unbelievably well. But if we don't line it up biblically with what we're called to be, then we've missed the mark. Not only have we missed the mark, but we've missed the abundant life that we're gonna see Jesus call us to this morning. We've missed purpose, we've missed joy, we've missed hope, and we've exchanged it for lesser things. One of the uh, difficult realities in my life as I've become a parent, and maybe you struggle with this, I feel like this is another good manhood characteristic, is sometimes in life, 
our expectations don't line up with the reality. And here's what I mean. I want everything to be planned, okay? I'm just type A and that's the way that I do. So when we're getting ready to go on vacation, we get the bags packed, we get the cars loaded early. I'm like, hey, the van is pulling out at 7 a.m. My expectation in that moment is at 6.55, we're all in the van. All the luggage is in the van, everything's ready to go, the house is ready to go. But three years ago this week, I had a daughter. Three years ago was the last time any expectation like that was actually met and worked the way that I had it planned before we started. And this morning, the passage of scripture that we're going to see is going to play out that way. But this has happened more than just in my life. I wanna introduce you to a buddy of mine. This is my dog, my best friend, one of my groomsmen. His name is Chipper, okay? I had 13 groomsmen, technically 14. The 14th was a dog. That's him. He is my best buddy. He's a black lab. Uh, He is a duck hunting dog. And so um, I know you're going to email me for this, but I just, to set up the whole story, I got to be completely honest with you. He lives outside, okay? All of the time, he lives outside. I'm sorry. I know dogs should be inside on the couch. I get it. You can email me. I'm sorry. But he lives outside. I have some allergies that doesn't allow it. Years ago, when this story happened, we lived in a place that didn't have a fenced-in backyard. And so Chipper, when we weren't at home, would stay in a kennel. We just kept him in a kennel in the backyard. And so he had a dog house and all that. Now, I love my dog. He was a groomsman in my wedding. My wife loves our dog exponentially more than I love our dog, and it's not close, okay? And so I got this idea. Chipper always had a house in his kennel where if it rained or the weather got bad, he could go in there, he could get shade, he could do all that. But I got this idea that I was gonna go to Tractor Supply and I was gonna get one of these. See if we can get this picture up. This is a kennel cover. I don't know where it's at. Right there, right? So they have these at Tractor Supply. They're like 150 bucks. You can get them. They go over the top of a kennel. I was like, I'm gonna get this. That'll be good for Chipper. If it rains, he'll, he'll, be, you know, he'll be sheltered. If it's sunny, he'll be in the shade. It'll be good. And so I go and get this thing. So I go to Tractor Supply and I get there and problem one starts when I get to the section where it is. Again, you can make fun of me, I'm fine. I'm a big boy, I can take it. I get back there and I go to pick up the box and it goes about like this. I'm gonna need somebody to help me. So somebody comes and helps me, we get it rung up, I get it loaded in the back of my car, get it to the house, I open it. I get there and I'm like, I'm gonna get this put together. I'm gonna get this assembled. Misty will get home, she'll be so excited. Chipper's got a roof, he's taken care of, he's good, I'm gonna have it all done. I'll be done with this before lunch. So I open the box, the directions are there, but come on, guys, this is a message on manhood. We ain't reading those things, all right? Except for on top of the, the very first page, like before you can even open the directions, in bold red font, it says, warning, four to five people recommended for assembly. And so I read that, and I did what any sane human being would do. Nonsense. We could do this, that's fine. And so I begin putting it together and it's going really well. I get the thing assembled on the, right outside the back of my car on the other side of the yard from, from where the kennel is. I got it all put together, I got the tarp in there so it just looks like a roof sitting on the ground. I'm like, okay. I drag it over there and then this thought crosses my mind. This kennel is six feet in the air. This thing weighs 150 pounds. I somehow have to hold this at the height of my head while also bolting it into the top of the chain link without it crushing me. And so here's the thing. You think, again, a sane person in that moment would go, just leave it, call your buddy Ross, he'll come over when he gets off of work or just wait for Misty to get home, she can help you. And I was like, no, I can do this. 
And so I spend the next two and a half hours out there with a leg up trying to hold it, trying to figure out whatever I can do to get this thing to stay on top of the kennel. And after two and a half hours, I don't know if, if, if ladies, you could probably speak to this better than the men here, but if your man ever gets to this point where he's working on a project and he just gets so angry that what he's beginning to do doesn't even make sense to him. And so you ask him, like, what are you doing? He's like, I don't really know. That's where I'm at completely by myself. And so finally... I back up and I go, all right, just go inside, go get some lunch, wait on Misty, wait on Ross to come. Maybe Ross can come before Misty gets here. You'll still be able to get it done before she gets here. I was like, okay. So I go inside and I make myself some lunch and I'm sitting there watching TV. But then sitting inside watching TV gives myself an opportunity to think about it. And I'm like, wait a second. If I do this, this, and this, then I can get it done. And so the long story short is I finally go back out there, disassemble the entire thing that I've put together and then assemble it on top of the thing and actually get it done before it's over with. But here was my expectation. This job will take me 45 minutes maximum and it will make my wife happy. It took me four and a half hours and I had to take a shower after it and I'm not even 100% sure that my wife noticed when she got home. I don't even remember her noticing it for days after that. Sometimes in life, our expectations don't line up with reality. And for men, oftentimes that's a great struggle for us. The passage of scripture that we're gonna look at in John chapter 10, Jesus is going to interact with a group of religious leaders and they're going to have a similar experience to the one I just talked about. They are going to ask Jesus, Jesus, how do we get to heaven? How do we receive eternal life? Jesus, what are we to do? And Jesus is going to tell this story about shepherds and sheep and all this kind of stuff and they're not going to understand and they're going to continue to question and then Jesus is going to make this declarative statement about who he is. In John 10, starting in verse seven, he says this. Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This statement doesn't really apply very well in our language that Jesus makes declaring himself the door. But what he would have done here was effectively step on the toes of the entire audience that's watching him speak. He would have said to them, your religious standards, your religious set of rules, your religious things are not the way to inherit eternal life. And for the Pharisees and Sadducees in the first century Jewish church, they were brought up to believe that this was the only way. That following this Old Testament law, that having all of these things put together would have been the only way. And so Jesus says, no, no, no. Not only is that not the only way, that's not even a way. Is that Jesus is going to say, it is through me and me alone that you are going to find eternity. And as much as that is an expectation that's contracted, contra uh, that it contrasts against the reality for the Pharisees, here's the scary reality that we find ourselves in in the American church right now. I looked at a Barna survey this week. And Barna surveyed a huge group of people who identified themselves as born-again believers. And of the people that they surveyed that said, yeah, I am a born-again believer who believes in Jesus, 9% of them, 9% of the survey believed these truths. Believe Christ lived a sinless life. Believe God is all-powerful and all-knowing creator of the universe and he still rules today. 
Believe salvation is a gift from God and cannot be earned. Believe that Satan is real. Believe that we have a responsibility as believers to share our faith. Believe the Bible is accurate in all of its teachings. 9% of the people surveyed believed all of those that I would describe as core tenets of the Christian faith. This isn't some abstract theological debate we're talking about here. This is 9% of Christians believing that Christ is the one who saved them. This is 9% of Christians believing that Christ is the one that saved them and that he's given them the living word to speak into and to influence and to guide and shape their lives, 9%. This is 9% that believes that we don't fight against the, the flesh and blood. We fight against prince and power of the air, that Satan is at work on the planet that we find ourselves on that the war that we face is spiritual, 9%. And so I asked after I read that, how can this be true? And the easy thing to do is to blame the church. And listen, rightfully so. Some of that rests securely on us. But I think it also exists. In fact, I know that it also exists because we have made lives out of trying to find what other doors we can get in and trying to find meaning and purpose and direction in other places, especially us men. Again, that meme that I looked at that launched into the thought that started this message is only funny because it's true. That there are in, probably in this room Men who identify themselves, who define themselves, and who value themselves based off of those things or based off of some set of worldly standards about your work ethic and how successful you are and how wealthy you are and how powerful you are and how many people have to answer to you at work. And listen, none of those things are inherently bad. It's not bad for you to have good grass. In fact, your neighbors will really appreciate it. And it's not bad for you to be able to cook good food. I would appreciate an invitation to eat said food. And it's not bad for you to lift weights. It doesn't make sense, but it's not bad. In fact, health people say it's good for you if they know what they're talking about. That none of those things are bad, but all of those things make a really bad ultimate thing. And so the difficulty for us that led me to this message this morning that God burdened my heart with for myself and for us this morning is that perhaps the first battle before we can even venture further into manhood is learning what we need to forfeit, is learning what we need to surrender. You see, Jesus makes this exclamation that he is the door, but a door is a passageway into something but it's only a passageway into something because it's also a passage out of something. Think about any time you enter a door, you both enter somewhere and leave somewhere else. And so Jesus is going to call us both to enter into things and to leave other things behind. So this morning, I want to just unpack three of those, just really quickly. Jesus makes three invitations, three invitations for us to exchange, to make exchanges with our life here. The first one, and maybe the most difficult, especially here in American culture, is that we would exchange counterfeit for authentic. That we would exchange counterfeit for authentic. Jesus makes two comparative statements in the passage that we looked at. The first is in the first half of verse eight. He says this, all who came before me are thieves and robbers. 
And then in, in John 10, verse 10, which is perhaps, if you're allowed to say this, my favorite passage of scripture in the entire Bible, Jesus says these words, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You see, Jesus presents this very black and white option for you. Choose him or choose something that's not going to work. Choose joy or choose something that is literally going to steal joy from your life. Choose hope or steal something that will rob you of hope. He is going to say that we must exchange counterfeit for authentic. The difficulty of this is that what makes counterfeit effective is that counterfeit is really, really good at looking like the real thing. In the seventh grade, Oakley sunglasses. It's a big major brand. Everybody's seen them. Maybe a lot of you have pairs in here. Oakley sunglasses became a major brand, all right? And I wanted them. But my parents were smart enough to realize that giving a 12-year-old kid a $150 pair of sunglasses was not a wise expenditure financially. That I was gonna break them before we left the store. So I didn't get them. But in the seventh grade, I got to take a school field trip to Washington, D.C. And we got to Washington, D.C., and we were doing all the D.C. stuff, and then we got to go to the mall. And this is the first time that I can ever remember seeing, and maybe you've seen these, maybe you haven't, the center kiosks at the mall. You know what I'm talking about? They're not the stores. They're the little things in the middle. And most of the time, they they sell is fake, right? And so I remember walking past this one, and it said, glasses, one for 15, two for 25. I was like, huh. Interesting. And so I looked over there and they got Oakleys. We called them Folkleys when I was in school because they were unquestionably fake. And I was like, 15 bucks? My parents had sent me with like $60 to DC because that was the exact amount of money that I would need to eat the meals that we were responsible for. But you don't get an opportunity like this. Somebody will loan me some money to eat on the way home and not let me starve. I got to get these glasses, right? And so I buy the glasses and I'm wearing them and people are like, and it's working. People are like, Rick, I love your glasses. I'm like, thank you. Yeah, I just got them. I picked them up at the mall. They're so awesome. They're cool. They keep the sun out of my eyes like glasses are supposed to do. So that's working well. Everything is going really, really good, right? And so I wear them that entire summer. And then the first day of school, this whole fashion statement had come. They didn't have croquis yet and everybody just folded the glasses up and put them right here in the front of your shirt. So we were all wearing them. And a buddy of mine showed up to to school with his Oakleys. Now here's where it got really interesting. His Oakleys were the real pair that my imitation ones were created to imitate. But I didn't think anything. I was like, whatever, they look real enough. He's like, yeah, man, let's look at them. Let's look at them side by side. I was like, okay. And so we hold these two pair of glasses up. Mine's a completely different shade of blue. My plastic looks like it came from Dollar Tree, not even Dollar General. My lenses are a completely different color. One of my O's is a little bit crooked on the side of it. And compared against the real thing, it's obvious that mine is counterfeit. What I want us to understand this morning is that many of us have spent our entire lives choosing counterfeit things and never been willing to look at the real thing beside it. And so here's how it plays out. We believe that purposeful, meaningful, direction-driven life is found in morality. I'll be a good person. I'll at least be better than blank. Don't elbow that person if you're sitting beside the one you're trying to be better than. I'll at least be better than this. 
Or if that doesn't work, I contend that the entire reason that social media exists is because we've sold out to believing that purpose and meaning in life will be found in the affections and the opinions of other people. And so we pursue those. We put pictures up that are going to try to generate people liking us. And if that doesn't work, then we'll go, I believe material possessions, the amount of stuff that I can accrue, the size of my house, how nice the things that I own are, that will give meaning and purpose and direction in my life. And the result of these counterfeits where our O's have begun to get a little bit crooked in our life and the lenses don't measure up is we're exhausted. That American culture is the most exhausted culture in the entire world because we can't ever have enough. We can't ever get enough. We can't ever do enough. We can't ever be powerful enough because the second that you stop, you've given up everything you thought you were chasing. The other, example, the other thing that happens is we're the fakest culture to ever live. And what I mean by that is nobody posts the picture of their lawn when they haven't been out there in three weeks. You post the picture of your grass right after you get done cutting it. Nobody posts their profile picture on Facebook at 6 a.m. when the alarm goes off on Monday. You wait till 8 p.m. on a Saturday when you can stand in front of the mirror acutely in your bathroom and do the duck face and then you take that picture and then you post that one because you were crushing it that day. And that's the culture that we live. Deeper than that, we're enslaved to the opinions of other people. That we're exhausted, we're fake, and we're enslaved to the opinions of other people because the things that we're pursuing as ultimate in life can't carry the weight that we have placed on them. But Jesus says, here's an invitation to authentic. Here's an invitation to purpose. Here's an invitation to meaning. Here's an invitation to a direction that matters. But the difficult part, especially for us men, is that we have to take a step to find that. And we have to stop trusting in the other things. The second exchange that Jesus is gonna offer us in this passage is that we would exchange comfortable for commissioned. If anyone enters by me, Jesus says in the second half of verse nine in John 10, he says, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go out and find pasture. I wanna be very careful and not read into this passage what's not in this passage, okay? Jesus is not saying that an invitation to his family is somehow an invitation to become part of a family that you can go into and then back out of, that you have to behave this way in order to stay a Christian or be a good Christian church boy or girl. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying you can go in and out. He's not saying you can lose your salvation, that you somehow earned it or merited it. It was a free gift, so you cannot have it taken away from you. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying here is that purposeful life is not found on the sideline of life. One of the most difficult things about my job, and if you don't understand what I do here, besides getting to teach every once in a while when, when Philip is out, is I connect people with home groups and I work with our home group leaders. Once every two to three weeks, once a month at a maximum when it's really, really rare, I get phone calls or I make phone calls to ladies who are looking to get connected in a home group, right? They turn in a card on Sunday morning or inquire through the app about how they can connect, get connected with one of our home groups. They can do all of those kind of things. And at least once a month on a, on a bad month, I have this conversation. Is it just you? And the answer is, yeah, my husband just doesn't really feel like he needs it right now. And it's heartbreaking to me because, listen, I'm, I know we're busy, and I know that men are schedule-oriented and we're task-driven, 
But my fear in that is what we've believed, men, is that we don't need it. That we can do our thing, we can coach our thing, we can do this thing, we can have this stuff, we can settle for these four categories, and we can just make sure that our wife has enough money to get the stuff that she wants and just make sure that everybody's happy and happy wife, happy life, and just keep moving along. But here's the reality, men. You are called first to invest in your spiritual development, but listen to me, in such a way that you are so developed that you can be the primary caregiver spiritually for your wife and your children. That's the difficulty of biblical Christianity. And that's the difficulty of biblical manhood. And the reason that I know that we're failing at this is this is what should be heartbreaking for us. Right now, I literally sent emails out the past two or three weeks to all of our home group leaders. We have an unbelievable number of gaps in both our Kids Creek and Center Point ministries. And we have an unbelievable amount of men in here who would do an unbelievable job at pouring into investing and connecting with children and students in the next generation, but who have chosen to live comfortable instead of commissioned. That Jesus is going to save us, that Jesus is going to draw us in and then he is going to send us. Our faith is both saving and sending. It doesn't end on us, it's given to us so that we may walk in joy that that extends that joy to others that we come in contact with. That God, my prayer for this church, my prayer for men in the United States, because we need it worse than ever, is that men would become burdened to love Jesus so desperately that that overflows into wives and children. Because here's the reality, politics is not going to change it. The next president's not going to fix it. The school system and what they teach or don't teach, allow this or that, and don't allow this or that is not going to change it. What's going to change it is dads who are willing to play with their daughters and demonstrate to them the way that Jesus feels about them. And dads who are willing to walk alongside their son and say, your work ethic and your drive is important, but it's not the most important. That we would, monitor, that we would walk in that and that we as men, but not just as men, Women, this calling goes to you as well, would exchange comfortable lives on the sidelines for commissioned lives, investing, engaging with lost and hurting people around us. And then perhaps the best news of all, and I think the fuel to make those first two exchanges that we've talked about this morning is the last exchange Jesus offers us is insecure for eternally secure. One of the probably the most common questions that I've been asked in my 10 years in ministry is, is how do I know that I'm saved? Like how can I know that I'm going to heaven or whatever variation that you wanna ask? And we could have a theological, that's a different message for a different day if we're gonna unpack all of that. And there's tons of really, really good, really, really biblical ways for you to be able to do that. But the heartbreaking reality of why that question comes up so much is because we've so Americanized the Christian faith. And what I mean by that is we've convinced ourselves that somehow our effort and our actions and our what we do or don't do is the thing that allows us to be saved or that keeps us from being saved or that keeps us saved to be doing that. But Jesus is gonna lay it out much differently. In the second half of verse nine, he says this, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Jesus says, here's the step one. Guys, you want step one, practical step one? Stop doing it alone. The most difficult step for men most of the time is to recognize you can't do it by yourself. 
You weren't created to do it by yourself and you will fail by yourself. You will end up looking like a, like a guy trying to put together a kennel completely alone before his wife gets home. You're exhausted, you're sweaty, you're angry. And at the end of the day, what have you accomplished? Jesus is going to say, if you'll abandon that, if you'll leave all of that stuff behind, the counterfeit behind, the comfortable behind, if you'll walk out of that and walk to me, I will save you. Salvation comes from me and me alone. You don't have to bring anything to the table. Well, Rick, I'd give my life to Jesus, but I'm not gonna give 10%. We'll let Jesus sort all of that stuff out. Jesus just says, come, surrender, come, be mine. Take step one before you worry about step 40. But he's not only gonna offer us salvation, look as we unpack this idea of what Jesus is offering us in the form of eternal security, if we jump over to Ephesians chapter two, he's going to say that his being the door gives us this. But God, in Ephesians two verse four, it says this. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Jesus is not only going to offer us salvation, he's going to offer us mercy. That we are not going to receive what we are due. That what we are due is eternal separation from God in a very real place called hell. But Jesus, dying on our behalf, saves us from that and offers us mercy from God's wrath. But it continues in verse five. And it says this, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So not only do we not receive what we deserve in the form of mercy, we receive grace, which means we receive something we don't deserve. And then you would ask, what's the thing that we, don't, that we receive that we don't deserve? Colossians chapter one, we'll paint it this way. Colossians one, verse 14. In whom, talking about Jesus, we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. So not only does Jesus forgive, but he completely redeems. And so the invitation this morning, not just for the men, but for all of us in this room is to find all of those. Grace, salvation, mercy, redemption, forgiveness, to no longer have to be defined by who you are and what you do or what you don't do. To no longer have to be defined by how many honor roll stickers are on your car, to no longer have to be defined by how many promotions you've gotten in the past five years, to no longer have to be defined by how good a religious boy or girl you are, that Jesus is going to say, come in this door. That all it takes is coming and saying, I'm done with that. I'm done with counterfeit. I'm done with hopeless. I'm done with joyless. I'm done with purposeless. I am abandoning this mentality of having to do it all on my own. And I'm giving that all over to you, Jesus, because you're the only one who is going to give me authentic. You are the only one who is going to make me eternally secure. And you are the only one who is going to commission me to find a life of purpose. All of us men were created with a purpose. That purpose starts, has to start, at the foot of the cross of Christ, or it will end somewhere we were never intended to be. Will you make that exchange this morning? Will you pray with me? Jesus, this morning, I, I thank you, God, for who you are. I thank you that you're a God who loves, you're a God who saves, you're a God who redeems, you're a God who restores. God, broken and, and, and hurting people. God, there's nothing that we've done to deserve it. There's nothing that we could do to warrant it. So God, my prayer this morning is first for the men who are in here. 
God, who have put on the front, who have been what a man is supposed to be, who have lived, who have looked the part, who have played the part, who have done the things. God, but at night, and in those moments that they're alone with their thoughts, they're tired. They're tired, they're fearful that they don't measure up. Jesus, my prayer this morning is that you'll call them home. That you'll reveal to them that none of us measure up. But the battle's not to measure up, the battle is to surrender. The battle is to walk to you. The battle is to find our meaning, not in our stuff, in our work ethic, in what we accomplish, but in who you are. God, that you've saved us from a great deal, but you're saving us to a great deal. You're saving us to purpose and direction and meaning for our lives. Jesus, and I pray for those of us who have accepted your gift this morning, would we walk into that purpose? God, may we not pass the buck to our wife or to the next kid in the children's department or the, the, the woman in the, in the student ministry who's willing to help. God, may we step in, may we stand that gap. God, may we use all of the strength that you've given us that we've pursued to take bullets for the ones that we love, to shepherd and care for the children that you place underneath us. Jesus, we love you. We worship you. It's in your holy and precious name we pray.